Welcome to the Happy Executive Woman Podcast. Coach Anita Charlo will cover a variety of topics, such as personal, professional, and corporate relationships, diversity, equity, and inclusion, energy, metaphysics, corporate relationship responsibility, and spirituality in the workplace. Be sure not to miss the Candid Conversation with Phenomenal Women episodes, where Anita interviews women leaders in their field about their challenges, triumphs, and ways in which they make their happiness a priority in both business and in love. And now, here's your host, executive coach, author, speaker, and corporate metaphysician, Anita Charlo. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Conversations with Phenomenal Women. Today, I am in the studio with Joy Acaso. Oh my goodness. I have been laughing before the recording. So if you hear an occasional giggle, I'm trying to stop, but that's just how our conversations go. You guys know that these conversations are supposed to be around 30 minutes. It depends. Once we get started and the conversation gets going, we just keep going. So if it's too long, we'll break it up into two um, episodes. If not, what I am going to invite you to do is to grab a glass of something, (laughs) your choice. I don't care. It doesn't matter what it is. And just sit back and, you know, act as though you're sitting in a room with us, like you're sitting across the room and you see us talking to each other, sitting on a couch, because we're going to have a conversation like nobody's here. And we're inviting you to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) So (laughs) having said that, um, I met Joy through a a mutual coach of ours. You guys always hear me talk about uh, Dr. Tracy Timberlake, and she's been on the podcast as well. I've been sharing some of her uh, recent offerings. Um, The latest offering I shared was something that started today. It was a money mindset masterclass, right? Yeah. And so, um, so that's how we know each other and we've been getting to know each other more. We've been in each other's virtual space for a couple of years and now we're getting to know each other more one-on-one. And I have to tell you that, you know, sometimes when you meet people online, you see them online and sometimes they're different than when you actually get to talk to them, they're different than who they appear to be, or they may be different than the persona that you've given them online. However, joy is joy. She is joy. Like I, I had all these thoughts about her and she was like, when we were having the conversation, our pre-recording conversation, she's like, Oh, I love that. You know that about me already. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, girl, I've been cyber stalking you. I know all about you. (laughs) And I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while. So I'm going to stop fangirling out. I'm going to allow Joy to introduce herself to to you, the listener, and then to just share with you what her zone of genius is. And then as usual, we're just going to jump right into the conversation. So not 80% this time, Joy, I promise. (laughs) That's an inside joke, everybody. (laughs) So I'm going to let you um, start and share with the listeners starting. Oh, Dr. Anita, thank you so much for having me in your podcast. I'm fangirling too, because I've learned so, so much from you. I've conversed 
you know, with you. Um, I lived vicariously through your <laughs> uh, vacations and all the good stuff that God has been blessing you with. So thank you so much for um, having me here today. And I've My truly pleasure. enjoyed our time together for sure. Yeah, thank you. This thank is you. amazing. So Joy, I want to let everybody know you know, that to me, it's important. If you've noticed a shift in my business, it's important for me in these coming podcast episodes to point out and to bring to you people who can help me heal the women of color in corporate America. So I wanted to put that out there to let you know that Joy is in fact a woman of color. Joy, if you can share with our listeners what your uh, nationality is, your race, that would be awesome. Because I wanted to, those listeners that are not actually looking at your photo, um, I want them to know who you are and how, what you bring to the table um, is so valid for the listeners. Yes, yes. I was originally born in the Philippines, moved to the United States because my mom um, was recruited as a nurse um, <clears throat> when I was 15. We, the whole entire family moved here. Um, and then I've lived in Florida since I was 15. Um, I've traveled here and there, but definitely like really my roots are here in Florida. And now my husband and I are raising our two kids, a 14 year old daughter and an eight year old son. And um, it's been such a great blessing. Just, you know, this season is just like unlearning and learning, Mm -hmm. you know, things. And I know you and I talked about how like, what can we do? That's always (laughs) question in my mind. What else can we do? How else can we approach things that you know, are put in our path. Um, Because my mind is always working, um, you know, always curious about, okay, if this is not working, what else can be, you know, put into place so that we can make more impact um, in the world. I am an the unlikely executive woman, though, (laughs) unlikely CEO and entrepreneur never even entered my mind until six years ago (laughs) when I started my business. Yeah. So that's a very interesting story, everyone. I I would like for you to share with the listeners how you became an entrepreneur, like that journey, like your original, um, let's make sure that they know what your original, um, uh, what you started, what your goal was when you started out in school and then how things changed and yeah. And we'll we'll continue from there. And I'm gonna I'm gonna interject every now and then and ask additional questions. So I think you already know that though. Yes. <laughs> um I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do. Well, I think I had an idea, but then you know my mind started to um change, changed my major so many times. And then at the end of my bachelor's, um, I wrote a paper on social welfare, and that's how I um got interested in social work. Mm-hmm. Um researched about it and I said, Oh, I think this is this is where I want to um, you know, stay in and got my master's in social work. Um and then 
went on to work in community organizations, primarily focusing on youth and families. Mm -hmm. um, and then I transitioned into when we started raising our family when I had um, our eldest, I transitioned into dialysis, social work, medical social work, mm -hmm. which I loved. I stayed working um, there for seven years. And then um, I realized how much I really liked um, working one on one with patients or clients, um, mm -hmm. which I missed because uh, in dialysis social work, you know, you only get like bits and pieces. We we had like a hundred patients oh. in our clinic, and I was the only social work worker. Wow! So I had to move fast. There was really no conversation engagement or anything like that. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, and then I really missed uh, working one on one with people, um, and that's when I decided to go into private practice after um, getting my license in mm -hmm. 2011. Wow. That's, I always look at, like, it's so interesting to me how people start with one goal in mind or one major in mind, because I also mm -hmm. changed my major several times. And so going from now, what's interesting to me, and we talked about this before, but we didn't get to dive into it. I had never known that there was like a specific branch of social work as like dialysis social oh. work I never knew that there was something I never thought that was a thing so exactly what do you do yes yeah, so it's more of a case management um mm -hmm. and social you're right social work I didn't know that either actually to, <laughs> to be honest like social workers can be hired um in many different areas and a dialysis social worker is more of a case manager where the patients, um, they really connect with the patients and they're the liaison between all the um, disciplines of like the dietitian, doctors, mm -hmm. nurses, and technicians. Um, and so a, social, a dialysis social worker would um, make sure that new patients are getting adjusted to their treatment schedule. Do they need transportation? Do they need resources? Mm -hmm. uh, very big on resources. Um, and then also referral for transplant. Okay. Transplant um, specifically. And they guide the patients in making sure that they have all that they need um, mm -hmm. in that area. And also emotional support for sure. Yeah. Wow. I can imagine having, being the only one and having a hundred patients, it would be hard mm -hmm. to really get to know and have that, that deeper connection with your patients because there's so many and you got to get, you got to handle. So that had to be a lot of paperwork. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot. Of paperwork. I'm like, wait a minute. As I'm yes. talking, I'm thinking at the same time, like, oh my God, a hundred to one. I can't imagine the amount of paperwork that that brought about. Okay. At the end of that journey, right. You decided to go into business for yourself. Now, how did that happen? Yes. So speaking of Dr. Tracy Timberlake, right. So I was, um, already being coached by her before platform, um, even came about. And so I, um, I was still working part-time 
in the private practice and then full-time in dialysis social work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was getting so many clients um, in the private practice and I was um, really, really enjoying my time there. Um, and so when I spoke to her, then she said, you know, well, what are you waiting for? Like, you know, why don't you just um, go full-time? And I said, oh yeah, what am I waiting for? <laughs> I wasn't really waiting for anything. <laughs> Um, and so I spoke to my husband and, you know, he said, okay, let's wait two years so you can, um, uh, fill up your caseload. And I said, okay, but then, you know, two months later, I was so burnt out doing two jobs. Um, yeah. Oh, and raising, raising kids. two kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And so that's when I became CEO of my yeah private practice um and then it god just really opened so many doors for me after that the office manager that um the office manager of the group practice that i belonged to back then even told me you know you have to give me six months to fill up your caseload and so my husband and i were like okay we gotta look into our savings and try to figure out like how we're gonna support ourselves Mm -hmm. you know not having um the regular income and i said okay you know i think we were prepared for that um but lo and behold after a month i was i was fully booked Um, wow i was then I started to struggle through my, <laughs> oh, I was not prepared for this. Yeah. Like, yes. And so I was back to back and like, I didn't know where my time was going. And then I had to, you know, put on the CEO hat, which again, took me so long to really understand. Yeah. Yeah. So we can, girl, that's a, a whole podcast episode in and of itself the mindset of a CEO so I won't I won't ask that question just yet (laughs) (laughs) but um what I'd like to know now and that's you know it's always it's good to have those conversations right I'm really happy that you had a a husband that was supportive and that was willing to walk with you through this whole thing right and that you were in a position to make it happen so moving from social work to dialysis social work to working full-time and part-time and then opening your own um practice yes i think what you shared with me was there was something missing there was something missing and so that led you to the heart math institute yeah so share with the listeners what you felt was missing and then we'll talk about um, those things that you identified that you learned in the Heart Math Institute that you did not learn in your traditional oh, training. Absolutely. And there was, <laughs> oh, yes. So um, when, you know, in the therapy world, we are taught or trained to, you know, anyone who walks in and needs help, we we have to help them. And I understand, you know, I understood, I didn't really have like a specific niche when I started uh, my private practice. Mm-hmm. And so I was all over the place. And I didn't, you know, I, I had children and adults and families and couples. And then I just was not I, I felt or, or I thought that I wasn't really making progress with what I wanted, you know, 
as a clinician, the goal to really see my clients um, flourish, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and also them achieving their own goals in practice. Um, but then, you know, so I started searching and I said, um, I stumbled upon Heart Math Institute um, and I said, oh, why are, we're not taught like this is like so new to me, like we're not taught this um, energy, this brain science, this mm -hmm. body science, like mm -hmm. those are things that really are not taught in social work, mm. particularly. And right. so I started to take um, trainings under Heart Math Institute. And I also met um, a neuroscience coach um, through Alicia mm. also. Yes. Right? Our common friends. So, yes. Who's um, also been on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so, and I, so I asked her, I said, um, do you like it? Like, you know, tell me a little bit more about the program. And so she raved about the program. Um, and then I signed up and trained and it's been amazing since just, I, I feel like, so I was like, uh, you know, thinking about this actually yesterday, I said that everything, every training that I've gone through, I'm really like the first one, like I'm the one that benefits so much, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and just really understanding my own brain mm -hmm. and my own energy. And it's like, oh, I wish it was taught in school, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and I totally understand where you're coming from, right? So, sometimes we think we're doing things for the benefit of our clients and it ends up helping us the uh, most. Right. Yes, yes. So in 2020, I took a trauma informed yoga training, Yeah, I saw which that. I thought was, I was doing for the benefit of my clients. Right. You know, Oh, I'm just going to get this additional certification so I can help my clients. Right. And it would have been specifically for the benefit of my clients if it was if if I was only able to take it over a weekend because normally it would be a weekend's worth of training you go Friday Saturday and Sunday oh. but because it was COVID we had to do it virtually and since it was virtual you know when you break up they break oh, two and a half yeah. days over weeks then it turned into 10 weeks wow but, yeah but that was that was like the best thing it could have that could have happened for me because had it been that weekend, I would have been in it specifically from an intellectual perspective to learn what I needed to learn to yes. hand off. Right. Yes. Yes. But because it was 10 weeks, I had to stop and actually tap into my own trauma. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I was not ready for that. I did not realize that I had buried so much inside mm. because my thing was, I don't want to, I want to work with a certain type of client. I don't want to work with clients who've had trauma. So I take this training and it sends me, it takes me down into the depths of my own trauma. Mm. And I'm, I go from having one therapist to 2.5 in order to help me like fast track deal with all of that stuff. So I had a yeah. 
I had a, cause you know, if I'm going to do it being who I am, I'm always an overachiever, right? I'm not going to wait you know, 20, 40, 50 more years to grow through it. Let me get in. I see yep. it. It's here. Let me get that in. Let me clean it up. Me. Let me get out. Right? Yeah. That's resonating to me. <laughs> I know what this is. I'm, I, you know, I'm a coach, so I don't, I like people to come in who want to get things done. Let's hit yeah. it. Let's get it. Let's quit it. Let me do the same. So after having gone through that trauma, then I realized how much even particular therapists that I had worked with didn't even talk about trauma. They didn't bring up any of those things that I had identified as trauma for me. They didn't bring those things up. So when you say, when you mention certain things you were not taught as yes. a social worker, I recognize now that. And I, and I share this with my clients. Now, if you have a therapist that doesn't have a therapist, or if you have a therapist that has not gone back to tap into different modalities, different learn, you know, certifications to broaden their perspective, that's not the person that you want. So when I heard, when I heard, I saw your certification, I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I need to take this class too. And I was like, wait, yes. no. <laughs> I remember you said that. Yes. <laughs> slow down, slow down, slow down. So when you were at the HeartMath Institute, you talked about learning more about neuroscience yes. and brain health. Yes. Coming from being a woman who was doing everything, right? Two kids, two jobs, husband, school, all this stuff. What did you learn? What was like the the things that you learned at the HeartMath Institute that were so instrumental in helping you as the individual, what yeah. stood out most for you? What, what was the thing that you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I learned this about myself. Um, the energy that comes from the heart, the electromagnetic waves are measurable. I thought it was woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure that I knew there was a science behind it. But, you know, heart math explains everything like you can grasp it. Um, And so they really measure heart variability and they even have an equipment for it and things like that. And they said that in one of their studies, um, those who were diagnosed with cancer, they traced back their um, heart variability and you know, they were able to pinpoint that irregular um, heart variability was actually an indication of like just how your health was was going. And so that to me was so fascinating because I also wanted to be in the holistic, you know, field where we look at the whole person and how all systems are working together. and you mentioned intellectual and I was like, oh, yes, that was me. I was um, doing everything from an intellectual perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, as a clinician, um, especially now because of uh, what we experienced with COVID, I, I know like there is no way I'm going back to just intellectualizing mm-hmm. or just being cognitively aware um, mm-hmm. after that shock that we got from COVID, yes, you know, we really need to be more bodily aware. And so mm-hmm. heart math is huge on that. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, and you said it, it's like COVID, the shock of COVID, the trauma of, of COVID, COVID yes, really shifted 
not only me as a person, but yes, it really shook up the foundation of my business, right? Because initially, I over the past 20 plus years, I've been a dating relationship and marriage coach, yeah. you know, focused on helping people find the love, attract and maintain authentic relationships, right? You know, that was my whole thing. And then after, um, after tapping into my own trauma during COVID, recognizing how I had, you know, just brushed under the rug, all of the traumatic experiences that I had experienced, not just in my personal life, but in the work environment as well. And then seeing all of these companies pop up with all these DEI trainings and hiring all these black people and, you know, doing all of these performative things, but recognizing that these so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that they were creating Uh, were not touching or would not, were not recognizing the whole person, right? And having, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm working on my, uh, my PhD in metaphysical psychology. So instead of separating that part of myself and just, you know, focusing on relationships, it's like, no, 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 no. If you want, even in the DEI space, if you want to understand the whole person, if you say you should feel safe to bring your whole self to work, then that means you need to understand what my whole self means. And my whole self is walking into the, your door every morning with hundreds of years of multi-generational trauma yes that yes. is going to dictate how i behave or how i don't behave and mm. it could be misunderstood because you don't know my trauma right you right. haven't learned my trauma you just know that you've only had two black people on your team and now you you're going to hire four more and now you feel like you check the dei box and everything is okay it doesn't work that way right we have to recognize the differences in, in individuals based on their whole person, based on who they are holistically. Absolutely. So this is where you and I really mesh, you know, in this area. Yes. Now, when we talk about, you know, the whole person and recognizing the whole person, you said, I will never go back to being intellectual <laughs> or you know, just traditional social work at all. And it sounds, that speaks so much to the reason why I refuse to get my degree in psychology in the first place, Mm, because I've always been metaphysical, right? Yes. And when I was in school, I was like, this is just talking about the mental, but where is the rest? You know, where is the, and then the fact that you can't explain or share your personal life with your clients. If I'm trying to help Mm. you move through something, I feel like I should be able to tell you it's possible for you, not just because I read it in a textbook, but because I've lived this. Yes. Yes. And so having, being able to have that whole and bring my whole self to my work and then to allow that person to bring their whole selves to, you know, That's to right. me as a, right. as a client is so important to me. So I'm so That's excited right. that you and I are on the same page when it comes to that. 
Now, when we had our pre-recorded conversation, you mentioned, which I was just like, this was this was heaven. I think I was floating <laughs> after our conversation because you talked about the um, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical yep. Manual, mm-hmm. and the with the disorders. And you said when I had to take a psychopathology class, um, where you started to learn about the manual, yes. that it would it be. It just wasn't an, you knew that it was more right. You were, yeah, it wasn't asked, clicking. Yeah. You had, you were being diagnosed to, to, I mean, you were being diagnosed, you were being asked or told to diagnose people based on Correct. what you read in a book. Right. But you knew that there were more, there was more to it than that. Right? Yes. Yes. There was more that wasn't being, a, um, that wasn't being taken into account. And so, you know, having had the, uh, professor as your direct supervisor. Yeah. I think it was a very, as you mentioned, was a very good thing for you. But that's even having gone through that and having experienced that, you still stated that that's just not something that you wanted to do. You didn't want to diagnose. Correct. You didn't like diagnosing people, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, when, you know, even, like that time when I was taking that class, I tried really hard to my, but my brain was just not accepting it. Um, it wasn't connecting for me to, for example, right? Just for example, um, to, so we, we had to do case studies, of course, um, right. in order to get used to diagnosing. So um, for example, the case was, you know, here's um susan and her father passed away two weeks ago um, or like a month ago we'll say a month ago and she hasn't got out of bed gotten Mm -hmm. out of bed um she barely talks to anyone and you know she's not connecting with the people that she used to connect with um she's been more withdrawn she's not getting any sleep and they want us to diagnose her with, I mean, what would fit that category would be like, you know, depression or right. something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm over here thinking like, well, her dad just passed away. You want me to, <laughs> you want me to write that she has depression? Uh, okay. I mean, I don't think that it's a disorder because when you, when we diagnose people mm-hmm. in that way, it really, it's like a stamp, like, you know, mm-hmm. we have to really be sure about what we're diagnosing people yeah. with. Um, although it can change over time. And yes, you know, we are allowed to change the diagnosis. But still, like, I just, you know, um, I just couldn't really pin, like, put them in a box and say, like, well, you have depression. Yeah. Right. So, but your dad just passed away. And, like, I, I understand why. Right. She, wants to isolate like grief is is a huge deal like um and so those were the um the things that i had to really you know um like deal with and try to figure out for myself like where where should i place myself right yeah yeah (sighs) i know (laughs) You know, because when, after you said that to me, after our conversation, I got off the phone, I started thinking how many 
black and brown people are misdiagnosed Mm. saying that you know they're schizophrenic or they're uh they have ADD or ADHD you know when it could be you know something as simple as uh well not as simple but it could be not necessarily those things but they could be suffering from trauma oh yes right and so when you it, they could have, you know, be suffering from PTSD or something right. like that. So right. when you say that a person has ADD or ADHD, but you're not really digging deeper to find out where, you know, where the other sources of that the behavior could be coming from, or you're using one book to diagnose white and black and brown people. It's like they're, they have different upbringings. They come from different environments. There they, you go. Yes. How do you just... Yes you know, lump everybody in the same category for this particular thing, but you don't lump everybody in the same category when it comes to equality. We can be equal in the the DSM, but we're not equal, you know? That's it. That's it. That's, yeah, that. (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) You're so right. You know, I'm just like these convers these things started to really affect me. Like I'm I'll be 57 this year and I've been fighting this the whole psychology field. I've been fighting since my early 20s in college, wow. not wanting to get I wanted to help. I always knew I wanted to be in the helping yes. field. And so instead of being put in a box, told what I can and can't say. Um, I got a smart mouth too. So you know, I got to be careful. <laughs> um, I decided to go the metaphysical route, you know, which is, yeah. uh, which is more of like, not necessarily religious, but it, it is a theology degree um, where you're like oh. a spiritual psychologist. Right. I love that. And so now, and that was through the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Now I'm working on I'm on the PhD track through the University of Metaphysics, and they now offer a doctorate in metaphysical psychology. So this is like really where my heart and soul is. And this is why I'm enjoying having conversations with, you know, phenomenal women like you who are, who are traditionally trained, but recognize that there is something missing. Yes. And not just recognizing that there's something missing, but are going out there and finding out what that missing part is yes. and then bringing that into your practice. So for that, I'm like so grateful to you for having the, the mind and the spirit to do that. And honey, we, we we're going to, I know we could, we got some things to do. Yes. You know, you and I, like, we don't need validation, right? Like, so you said you've been fighting psychology, you know, for many, many years. Yeah. Um, And um, you and I don't need validation to, to to like, you know, acknowledge like what we're fighting for and what it, why, why we're fighting for in the first, why we're fighting it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But I think, was it last year or two years ago? I can't remember. And I don't uh, remember the exact words, but the Amer- when the American Psychi- Psychiatric Association, which is one of the oldest institutions in the world, released a letter 
of apologies stating how they have quote unquote contributed, I believe, to systemic racism. Mm-hmm. I felt validated. <laughs> I felt like, oh, wow. this is why I just could not understand the DSM. Because yes. they are the authors of the DSM. They're the Absolutely. ones that approve these things. And so when they released that letter, I was just like, oh, there's so Dr. Anita, there you go. Yes. Yes. I just it just didn't sit well within my spirit. And this was even before I started getting into metaphysics. (laughs) I was just like, no, I can't do this. I want to help, but I'm going to have to help in my way. Right. And my way was getting the degree in metaphysics and approaching it from the from the spiritual side, like, right from the energetic side. And, you know, I do energy work too. So it's like, you know, being, being that person, the woo-woo person, right. (laughs) I was willing to take, I was willing to wear the woo-woo t-shirt, right. Put the woo-woo stamp on my head. I didn't care, but it's, it just, now it's starting where it's now starting to get back to the place where I feel like and when, when they came out with the metaphysical psychology doctor, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is my jam, right? I yes. got to do this. I got to do this. But what I'm, what I want to do, what I'm trying to do now, and I had to sit really long and hard with this joy. I had to sit so hard and so long with this. Um, I kept asking God, why me? Like, why do you want me to talk to white people about you know, help them recognize their privilege and then, mm. you know, lead them to, you know, the way of really understanding black people. Why do I have to do that? You know, why me? You know, I've been, I've gone through my stuff. And if you can't, you can't see me guys, but I'm doing the black girl uh, <laughs> neck roll and the fingers in the air. Cool. Like, yes. Why me? They did this to me and I've experienced this. And yeah, I clearly heard, like I've heard with every other experience in my life, you had to do that. You had to go through that because you consider yourself to be a woman of integrity and you could not teach Ooh. something that you had not experienced, right? Right. Because my right. thing is, don't talk to me about X, Y, or Z if you've never gone through X, Y, or Z. If you've only read right. a textbook about X, Y, or Z and you've had a couple of case studies, but you don't know what it's like to sit at your home crying 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, then don't talk to me. So apparently yeah. I asked for the PhD in life school program too. <laughs> That's all right. of the things that I've experienced. He's like, now you can talk about it. So when for the past two years, or even more than that, my husband has told me, he said, you need to be in the DEI space. But I knew mm. that the DEI space that I wanted to be in yep. wasn't inside of corporate. Right. 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 It wasn't inside of corporate. I had to figure out how to do it outside of corporate. And I have now figured that out. So mm-hmm. while I am now focusing on healing f- women from the women of color, when of the trauma that they have experienced in the workplace, I am also willing to be the catalyst to help white people not only recognize their privilege, but then heal from that 
right? Because you have a lot of white people and ally people who call themselves allies who still don't recognize their privilege. Right, right. And when you challenge them on it, they get defensive because they see themselves as these great allies. I have black friends. I have, you know, seven people of color on my team of 10 Mm, people, right? But just because you have friends that are people of color and just because you have people on your team that are people of color, unless you really know and take the time to learn about systemic racism and oppression and the trauma that black people have experienced, you're still missing the mark. But once somebody points that out to you, it can really, it can, it can hurt, right? Because they think that they are doing the best, but when they find out that they're still, they're still participating, then that can be very hurtful. So So I am the person to help first bring them into clarity and then to Mm -hmm. hold the space for them while they grow through it. Yes. So that they can then learn how to activate their privilege to help people of color. Oh, that's so good. Girl, it's been two years I've been trying to deliver this baby. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in labor two years and it wasn't until I went to Cabo where I just disconnected from everything. Living vicariously through you. You know, when it came back, I was... I was like, when I came back, it all came together. Cause I was like, how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? Why me? Da, da, da. Yeah. All it took was some, some nice blue, pretty turquoise blue water. Oh, and that's what it, okay. That's what I need in my life. <laughs> that's what you need, girl. Yes. That's what you need. Um, and so this is, this is a beautiful space to be in. And Years ago, I promise you, I could not have a conversation with anybody who was licensed in the psychology field because back then they were very like leery of woo woo topics and they didn't want to, they, you know, were downplaying anybody who wasn't certified. So it was, you know, it was the certifieds against the non-certifieds. So now recognizing people like you and other women that will be coming on the podcast that are marrying the two you have, you know, your license, but you also recognize that there was a lot that you were missing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I have the answers to everything because I don't. I'm also conscious about who I work with. And there is a portion of their therapy or their, of our coaching where it's not metaphysical. It is definitely clinical. I will outsource Right, right. Because I'm not trying to hurt people or harm them That's, more yeah. than I need to. So That's I'm clear one. on that. So yes. now I'm really excited about now having the opportunity to partner with people who are licensed, who can handle those particular aspects so that I can focus on my zone of genius zone. and they yes. can focus in their zone of genius. Right. 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 Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Like you said, doing it your way, right? Right. Helping Mm -hmm. the healing, but doing it your way. Yeah. Yeah. So tell the listeners how, how, if someone were to, if they heard the podcast and they wanted to work with you, exactly Mm -hmm. how do you work with 
um, your clients? What do you do? What can you help them with? What is your zone Mm -hmm. of genius right now? Yes. So I specialize in stress, chronic stress, um, anxiety, and trauma, for sure. And, um, and all of those things can really show up in many different ways, right? Um, You know, it could be in like, constant headaches, or like, I can't sleep at night, or everything feels like uh, a chore to me, everything feels like a burden to me and things like that. And then I help women navigate through that and really um, safely dig deeper because Mm -hmm. safety is my number one concern, you know, meaning that there is a certain readiness for Mm -hmm. the client to be able to go in deep and Mm -hmm. excavate anything that they feel led. Because um, for me, my clients are in charge. They are the ones that, you know, direct our sessions. And I am the guide that mm-hmm. comes along, asks the hard questions. I yes. love asking hard questions, <laughs> breaking down the tools, um, you know, making sure the tools resonate with them and are meaningful, you know, for them. And then we look at both the cognitive awareness and also somatic work. Like, mm-hmm. where do you feel that in your body? Mm-hmm. Where is it showing up? Where does it hurt? And then we discharge the stress, the trauma, um, you know, in a gentle way um, and slowly so that the client can then move into a space of feeling like, okay, now I can see clearly. Yeah. I can see better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you said somatic. Yeah. Because that was part of my part of my healing journey that year when I said 2.5. I had a somatic experience practitioner. That was amazing. If you guys don't, if you've never heard of somatics or somatic experience practitioners, basically what was happening for me at the time was I was, I was carrying so much stress. I thought mm-hmm. that I was doing fine, but apparently my body told me that I wasn't because I was having consistent migraines ah. and my neck, my head and shoulders would lock. I couldn't turn oh. my head left or right. I had to turn my entire torso, you know, shoulders and everything left and right. And so, um, my, um, my instructor for the trauma informed training class told me she suggested a somatic experience practitioner. And so when I started seeing her, she helped me to identify where the pain was in my body and identify when it was coming up and things like that. But when you get so used to existing, yep in a form of pain, you know, with pain, what we call in black world issues when, you know, oh, it's just another issue. Uh I just, I just have issues. I don't have, I I didn't, the word trauma didn't even apply to black people to me. I always heard white people talk about trauma, but I never heard anywhere in black world where we talked about black people having trauma. Yeah. I don't think Asians, right. Growing up, we did. Right. It's always issues, issues, issues. So when I identified that, then that took a minute for me to internalize and really recognize that within myself. So I've been growing, learning more and more about trauma, which is why I find myself doing the very thing I said I didn't want to do 20 years ago. Yes. Which was trauma work, right? Oh, oh my gosh. I know. 
you know, it's like 20 years to get here. But I guess being, you know, the PhD student of life, I had to go through 20 years worth of experience so that I could yes. speak from experience because that's what I said I had to do. I now know, thanks, Dr. TT, that Amen. we don't have to have that, but that's what I felt I needed. So that's why it happened that way. Yeah. So, okay, Joy, so you've shared with our listeners your specialty, how you work with your clients, where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, Joy Acasa was my handle. And also on TikTok, you'll find me there. I talk a lot about brain health and neuroscience and the nervous system. Um, if that is something that you're interested in, definitely would love for you to follow me. Um, and my website is uh, joyacaso.com. Girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, I promise I'm not gonna keep you on too much longer. No, just, please. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else after that. <laughs> you just reminded me, we haven't talked about the brain and neuroscience. Oh, yes. We haven't talked about that. So, so when I think of the brain, I think of this big, squiggly, squishy, squishy, yeah, like sponge, <laughs> which has all of these neural nets and all these highways and byways that, mm. and that lights up all these different lights and different colors and different areas, Correct. you know, um, talk about, and this may not have anything to do with it, but this is something that I've been trying to tell my mom. Do you know if there is a correlation between dehydration and Alzheimer's mm. or dehydration and migraines? Why is it so important for people to stay hydrated and does the brain need water? We, yes, we need water for the brain but also it's like a cleansing right like you know when we hydrate we it's a neutral thing that we we cleanse at the cellular um level and we are made up of 75 to 80 percent water mm -hmm. um and so it definitely there is like there are properties in the water itself that brings healing um into the brain and and uh aids or or um facilitates okay. biochemical reactions mm -hmm. that happened um in in our entire body for sure yeah and just so we're not going to get into alzheimer's i promise um mm. when we talk <laughs> about the brain and the hippocampus and yes. the pineal gland and all that good stuff like when, when you were learning about neuroscience and the yes. brain at the HeartMath Institute, what did you really focus on there? Like, what did they teach you in neuros about neuroscience and the brain at the HeartMath Institute? Absolutely. It's about harnessing the emotional brain, the primitive brain, where the hippocampus and mm -hmm. the amygdala, they're mm -hmm. all in that um, space in the back of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. So um that is the primitive part of the brain and when that um and trauma mm -hmm. trauma affects that part of the brain mm -hmm. and so you know we want to be able to work 
in that space because trauma responses are energy efficient. That is why it's like automatic, right? It doesn't take much Mm -hmm. to be in a trauma response versus let me pause and reflect and think about what I'm going to, that's a lot of energy, Mm -hmm. right? Like to be in the conscious state of our being. So the emotional brain um, will just kick in and Mm -hmm. override the entire system Mm -hmm. if we're not healing our our trauma. And that, again, I did not learn that in school at all. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, during the uh, trauma-informed yoga training I took, we spent a lot. We spent like the first three weeks learning about where like the first seven weeks were all about the scientific portion of trauma. I had, I got so far into it. I had this huge chart on my wall with the the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and, you know, the triggers and all those things. And it was so fascinating. It is. I was like, oh my goodness, look at this. And I recognized, you know, working with her and also the somatic, the SCP, the somatic experience practitioner, helped me to recognize like when I was about to shut down or, you know, when I was about, I was ready to go. Cause there's a, I recognize it now. And instead of beating myself up for it, it's like, okay, I know I've reached my limit. It's time for me to go when I get somewhere and, and like, I've had enough, right. I just can't take anymore. It's like my, my brain goes into flight, not even fight. I don't want to fight unless you try to make me stay there. Right. Right. If you, when I say I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. That's my flight because I can feel myself getting there. And then if you keep try to keep me there, you don't want me to leave. You try to make more excuses for me to stay. Then I get agitated and then I'm, then it's about to be an argument or whatever. So I recognize Mm -hmm. that now where I never took the time to stop and be able to recognize, Oh, okay, I'm getting there. It's time for me to leave. Yeah, right? I would find myself being more, I would see it after the fact, after I had already reacted right. versus before right. I reacted. So just learning about that and the, and the chemical components of the brain and the fact that every emotion has a chemical, yep. uh, it's like, oh my goodness. True. So you know where I learned about that? Um, what is her name? Her name is Candace. First name is Candace, but I saw it in the movie. What the bleep do we know? It was years ago. And she talked about the, uh, chemistry of emotions. Um, and it was really cool because what they did in this movie is that they showed you, they use like little cartoon characters to show you, like if you were angry, they had these little red cartoon characters running around. You could see them being released from the brain. And if you were happy, you know, it had a certain color. If you were, you know, sad, it had another color. And it's almost like, you know, when you're stuck in a certain mindset, it's almost like you're addicted to that chemical that's associated with that emotion. Yep, that's correct. 
And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So that's why when you told me about the Heart Math Institute and what you studied, I was like, oh, I'm going to go take that class. (laughs) I was like, no, 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 don't do it. (laughs) Candace Berg, I think is her name. Let me look her up. Candace Berg, but she, she's no longer um, with us. Right. But her book, mm-hmm. Candace sounds Berg. familiar, but, um, oh, Candace Berg. Nope. That's not her. Oh, nope. That's not her. None of these are her, but I will okay. find before we post this, I will find the name. I will have Megan put the, the link to the movie. What the bleep do we know? Cause that's where I learned about it. Okay. And um put the name. I know, I know it. I can see it. I can see her face. But I'll wow. definitely let you know about it. But it was in this movie, they just made it so clear using cartoon yeah. characters and different colors. And that's what really made me aware of the fact that, you know, sometimes people who are always angry, like even if nothing's wrong, they'll find something yeah. to get mad about. Yes. Because they want that re- that chemical release. They need yes. that release. Yes. And it's like, wow, when you learn this stuff, right? And then you're around people and you see it in action. It's like, whoa. But it's not for you to go say, hey, you just released the mean chemical. You're, you're, <laughs> you're addicted to your chemicals. You're addicted to your emotions. I know. Right? It's not for you to say that to me. Right. No, that's correct. Do that. You know, it's like the born again. I, I may always say this and I don't mean to offend anybody, but this happened in my world. So it's my experience. Um, like when I would go to when we were going to church and we would call somebody's house and they would answer the phone. It's like, oh, praise the Lord. Glory. Hallelujah today. And it's like, well, what? so instead of like oh I see you know maybe you're you're not today's not a good day for you or maybe you're not in a good space I'll come back later yeah, yeah. you know versus saying you're addicted to your emotions you're releasing that's the right. chemical of such and such right now that's right you know we don't want to do that unless it's the oxytocin no. chemical then we love that one because that's the feel good absolutely good. absolutely I love what you said. Um, You said instead of beating myself up, um, because I think that's so, so, so important. Um, And, you know, that's also my hope for my clients and, you know, people who follow me or like, you know, see the work that I do, or maybe even listen to this episode that, um, yeah, there is an explanation um you know for why you feel this way or why you're thinking this way and it's not your fault and Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with you there's just things that we need to look at and explore but that doesn't mean that you are defective right Right. like that your emotions define you or your trauma you know defines you Mm -hmm. um but it's true a lot of us like really do beat ourselves up for our Mm -hmm. experiences so yeah yeah Yeah, that took it that took some work though. Right. Cause when Thank you grow you. up in, when Thank you grow you. up under the microscope, right. Yes. Especially as <clears throat> women of color and you're, yes. you're around, you know, other women, white women, and you have, you're constantly comparing yourself. You're constantly thinking, did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? When half the time it wasn't you. Right. You know, it was them. So right. stepping back and learning how to acknowledge that 
without being angry about it and just mm. seeing it for what it is, Correct. that took some growth. Right. And so that's why I was like, God, are you sure? Are you sure I'm the person you want to do this work? You can't pick yes, somebody else. Wants you. <laughs> right. And he's like, no, I want you. I'm like, but I got a smart mouth. He was like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, I tell it like it is. He was like, exactly. That's exactly wow. why I want you. But I also know wow. that because me, I've gone through this, I've taken my time and it's so important to me for me to continue to grow so that I am there and I'm able to be fully present with my clients. Yes. Right. It's so important that I'm just gonna, I'm always going to have a coach or two or three. (laughs) (laughs) I See, I definitely agree. Yes. Yes. I am. I too believe that I need to keep learning and growing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have so enjoyed this podcast. I don't want to let you go, but I I know. know. (laughs) Because I can talk about all this stuff all the time. It just makes me so excited and so happy. But what it does let me know is that I, I believe since the beginning of my podcast, I'm at, I don't know, 56 episodes now, which is so surprising to me. So good. Um, thank you. Um, the, the quality of the conversations, the, um, the direction that it's going, every woman that I've had on my podcast has been phenomenal and, and, you know, an, an expert in what they do and Mm. killing it in their zone of genius. But I Mm. think as I'm more, I mature more and I step into my true calling, Yes, the women that I am attracting are right there. It's like, man, this is so these are like, these are conversations that I'm having for the benefit of the listeners. But girl, I get so much from these things myself. Wow. Yeah, me too. So amazing. I love it. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being my guest this week. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. For every everyone that's listening, don't forget to head on over to the show notes where you can download the transcript and highlight your favorite parts. And mm-hmm. you're going to have all the links that you need to connect with Dr. Acaso. I keep calling her Joy. I should be respectful. Yeah. Dr. Acaso. <laughs> and um, it's just, you know, if you guys want, I plan to have, Dr. Acaso back uh, in fourth quarter. We're, we have some things that we've been talking about collaborating oh, on. Yes. But if you have any questions for her and for whatever reason, you don't want to reach out to her directly, just shoot them to me. You know how to reach me and I will reach out to her. And maybe, Absolutely. you know, if I need to, I'll do a um, follow up in an email or maybe a post where I tag Dr. Acaso so she can see the question as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm going to stop stalling and I'm going <laughs> to let you guys go. Um, thank you once again. Thank you listeners. I really appreciate you sticking around. And in case you have only been listening and you did not realize we are because of you, this podcast is in the top 10% of almost 3 million podcasts globally so that's wow. worldwide. Congratulations. 
Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to my loyal listeners. I really do love and appreciate you. And I will catch you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.